This is the Gartner Podcast for Supply Chain Leaders. Hello, my name is Thomas O'Connor and welcome to the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast, where twice a month we bring on Gartner's best thinkers, innovators and leaders to share with you the most up-to-date strategic insights and tactical tips you need to drive supply chain success. And today, ahead of Earth Day on Friday 22nd of April, we thought to explore some of the top environmental sustainability trends that Gartner sees on the horizon. Specifically, my colleague Sarah Watt will be joining us as we explore her research investigating the CSCO response to environmental sustainability trends for supply chain in 2022. Gartner clients, you can access this research via the link in the show notes or directly on Gartner.com. Sarah, it's great to have you joining us today. Oh, it's super to be here, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. So, Sarah, as I mentioned in the intro, Earth Day is coming up and we've obviously seen a lot of discussion around sustainability, ESG, etc. Can you just give us a bit of background as to why supply chain leaders need to be standing up and taking action around this piece and why they need to care about Earth Day more specifically? Yeah, absolutely, Thomas. No problem. So, I think the first thing to say is some of the largest environmental impacts are found within the value chain. So, if I think about a typical manufacturing organization, it's not what happens in the manufacturing operations, the, say, scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions that tend to be significant. It's everything further down in the value chain, the sourcing of the minerals, the mining, the human rights issues uh, that sometimes go with that. So, you know, as uh, CSC as supply chain leaders, we are custodians of those significant environmental impacts. And that puts us really in prime position to take action. In addition to that, there are some external pressures that we need to be aware of. Firstly, investors are paying much more close attention to ESG performance of enterprises than ever before. And we see this through requirements like TCFD, for example, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, asking companies to take a forward-looking view of future climate change risks. And of course, we know it's a topic that is important to employees as well. Employees expect companies to take action on sustainability, to show that they are doing the right thing, and to connect it to different employee roles. And then lastly, this is within the top 10 CEO trends when we look out across 2022 and 2023. So we've got to take action and now's the time. Fantastic. All right. So I think that's a pretty clear message, right? I love the way you positioned around us being custodians. Uh, I couldn't agree more with the positioning that you've given us there to, to kick things off. And I want to now start diving into actually these key trends, right? And you've called out three of them in your report that I was hoping we could cover off today. And, and the first one ties in a little bit around that uh, greenhouse gas piece that you mentioned briefly in your introduction in terms of climate change adaptation strategies. What exactly do we mean by that? And what should CSCOs be doing about it? Super question. So, we have uh, seen a focus over the last uh, five years on what we call climate mitigation strategies. And that basically means that we're focusing on reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. And many companies have made commitments to science-based targets or commitments to net zero. Adaptation is a little bit different. Adaptation acknowledges that the climate is starting to change. We are seeing more significant weather events, for example. We're seeing wildfires and flooding in areas that we maybe didn't see previously. And the magnitude of these events is changing as well. So when we talk about 
climate change adaptation, what we're really saying is what is the supply chain's readiness to deal with these future impacts? And how are we thinking about this in our strategic decision-making processes? So everything from mergers and acquisitions to thinking about sourcing new strategic raw materials from different locations. This is really where sustainability and risk management uh, converge. It's a really exciting space, but unfortunately, it hasn't got a lot of attention yet from companies and it is a little bit of a blind spot. All right. That's really interesting that you're calling it out as a blind spot. Why do you think that would be that it, it's seen as a blind spot for, for many of our, our clients or other organizations more broadly across the ecosystem? Yeah, so I think it's a blind spot because we've been doing the right thing and putting all that effort and focus on mitigation, right, on reducing those greenhouse gas emissions as much as possible to try and reduce the impacts and effects of climate change. But if we look at the IPCC, so that's the International Panel on Climate Change's data, we know we're locked in at the moment to about 1.1 degrees uh, warming compared to pre-industrial levels. And with that warming will come uh, some of the impacts that I've just uh, described. So not only do we need to focus on mitigation, we still need to do that. We need to double down our efforts there. But in addition, we should focus on adaptation as well. So preparing for these future uh, impacts in our supply chain. But this might also change user wants and needs as well. And for some businesses, it might also present not only a risk, but an opportunity too. I love the positioning around opportunity. And of course, you know, we were always looking at how we in the supply chain have that opportunity more broadly across our ecosystem to add value both to society, but also to our organizations more specifically. Is there any examples you might be able to give us there in terms of the opportunity that you're seeing? Yeah, sure. So if you think about the core competence of an organization, let's just speak in broad terms. An engineering company, for example, might turn their hand away from making heating systems to making cooling systems. A company that manufactures different food products might think about where they are farming that food in years uh, going forward because some parts of the world are going to become very uh, heat stressed. We know that uh, climate change is going to affect uh, the way that we work. In some territories, we might not be able to work in certain parts of the day, but it depends on the time horizon that you're talking about. So I've got some clients that I work with that are thinking about this topic over a 10-year time horizon. And if we think about it in that framing, the risks are not quite as significant. But if we push out to 2050, then we see more severe risks coming to bear. So I'm working with one client all the way out uh, to 2050. We're talking about uh, where crops might be grown in future, how people might uh, work in future. And this gets us really into the exciting space of scenario planning. So, you know, how do we think about these different uh, climate change scenarios? And there's a number of starting points for this. So the IPCC's SSP scenarios are a, a good uh, place to have a look at. We've got World Bank scenarios. We've got the International Energy Agency. They've got scenarios as well. So scenarios provide us a tool to really say, what if what if we see temperature going to two degrees Celsius? What does it mean for our business? What if it goes beyond two degrees Celsius in terms of warming? Then how do we respond? Scenarios only work if we know which scenario we're in. So it's also about identifying trigger points as to when we've moved from one scenario to another scenario, and then knowing what action we need to take in response to that. 
There is complexity here too, because we might have operations in one country and they are in, say, one scenario, but then in another country, it might be a completely different scenario. So there's a lot of complexity when we think about um, modeling um, our response and taking action to climate change and adaptation. Really interesting. And I, I think it's um, this piece around the, the different lenses that both businesses are taking today, but also that we'll have to take as we look ahead around various different geographies that we're operating in or other business circumstances as well. And I think the the piece around um, looking ahead all the way to 2050 brought up the the idea of actually your, your second trend for me, right? This idea around long-term resource preservation. And so, how does that start to tie in? Because, of course, if we're talking about long-term resource preservation, um, that's very much relatable about those scenarios that we're setting out and we're looking forward to towards, I'd imagine. That's a great question, Thomas. I think the first thing we should think about is the resources that are already in our economic system. So every um, material that we abstract to turn into a product often gets lost out of our economy or its value is degraded through a recycling process. And here I'm starting to think about the circular economy. So the principle of the circular economy is to keep resources in use at their highest quality for as long as possible. And what this does is it helps us to reduce the pull of resources from the natural world. We know many of the resources that we use are finite. And over-abstraction of these resources not only compromises future generations, but it can also compromise our economy and our well-being. So think about all the externalities that come with resource um, abstraction, you know, all the processing of those resources. And it makes sense that we maximize the value from those resources through circularity. But more recently, we have been seeing companies focus more broadly on this topic uh, around biodiversity. So we're seeing companies make commitments to uh, trying to understand their impacts on biodiversity and to reduce biodiversity loss. If I come back to the concept of the circular economy, though, in an environment where we have got constrained resources, where we're facing inflation, where we've got uh, difficulties with globalized supply chains, and many of us have been experiencing this pain and living this reality for the past 24 months, the circular economy can also be beneficial in terms of providing another resource stream into our enterprise. And this can act as a hedge against future raw material price increases, but it can also help us to serve our customers by providing circular products to them, particularly where the customers are interested in getting uh, short delivery times and are willing to accept maybe um, a second life product as opposed to a new one. Really interesting. And I, I love that you brought up not just circular economy, but also things like biodiversity here as well, because I have to say, when I hear about uh, the idea of how we're managing our, our natural capital and what, what's going on in that space, biodiversity um, wasn't the first thing that came to mind. So I really love that that's, that's part of where, where this long-term resource preservation goes and the importance and relevance of that. Plus, of course, everything around circular economy, a trend that I know we, we've been talking about for quite some time here at Gartner. And there's some, some really cool stuff that's happening. You know, my background's from the fashion world and um, all of the efforts that are going on there in um, terms of rewear or reuse of clothing is a huge trend that, that I'm certainly aware of. I know that's going on across all industries at the moment as well. But anyway, enough of a, an aside there from me. How about 
how businesses are starting to think about when they're, they're going after these challenges, right? And um, it brings us towards the third trend that you, you called out and how they're actually leveraging not just their current processes or identifying new ways of operating, but also utilizing technology to drive that. And so, could you perhaps explore the technology component that's starting to shift, how they're applying sustainable technology and infrastructure to, to go after sustainability challenges? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the thing to say is the type of data that we're having to collect in order to meet stakeholder expectations has significantly increased in complexity. And we now can't do this without the help and support of digital technology. Firstly, to support our ESG uh, reports, but also to enable change within the organization. But digital technology itself can have both positive and negative impact on the enterprise. So it can have a positive impact in the sense that we get improved um, information, which enables us to identify projects and then to take action. Think about an energy management system within a manufacturing uh, plant. That can help us improve planned preventative maintenance, but it can also help us identify projects that need to be put in place to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and to improve um, energy efficiency while also managing uh, cost. But digital technology can also hurt sustainability efforts too. So think about collecting loads of data points and not using them effectively. So let me go back to my energy management system example. So we collect data points, say, every 30 seconds on equipment performance. But actually, we're not looking closely enough at that data. Actually, the, the use of that system has sort of been forgotten in our processes. What that means is that we are using cloud storage, we're using resources, but we're not getting any value from them. There are also issues here around uh, privacy and data security that we need to think about as well. So we might think we're doing a good thing when it comes to applying uh, digital technology to get insight, but actually there are unintended consequences. So what can we do? to address this kind of paradox of applying uh, digital technology. So first of all, think about how the technology is going to be used. How does it drive um, our ESG performance in the enterprise? How does it get us closer to our sustainability goals? Secondly, think about any um, harm that can come from the use of the technology around whether that be the use of personal data or how the data is being uh, stored. Thirdly, maximize the value. Make sure that the technology is being used in such a way that it is delivering against those ESG goals. Now, I also speak to CIOs occasionally, and I often hear from them that they feel quite overwhelmed with enterprise requests for different types of technologies to enable sustainability strategy. They're not too sure sometimes which projects to implement. So when you do uh, put in place uh, digital technology projects, Select them based on impact. So how will the technology help you to get closer to the enterprise ESG goals? What percentage of improvement will it deliver to help us uh, get closer uh, to these goals? So I think those would be my top tips when it comes to thinking about technologies. Brilliant. So, Sarah, really interesting. And we've obviously covered a lot of ground today. We've gone through these three very different, but in some ways interrelated trends. And as we're thinking about it, one of the core challenges, as you know from having been on the podcast previously, is that we try to help our listeners by giving them a bit of you know, summary guidance. So if you were to try to sum up what 
I guess, in one or two key actions that they should be taking. Uh, what might that look like if you're, you're speaking to someone who's maybe um, on the less mature side and then maybe a similar action for someone who's on the more mature side when it comes to uh, dealing with these trends that we've been talking about today? Sure. So let's start off with the trends on the maybe slightly less mature side. So on greenhouse gas emissions, make sure that you've got a climate mitigation strategy in place. That's the starting point, right? That you're focusing on reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, not only in your enterprise, so that's scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions, but also in your value chain. And start with your tier one suppliers. Don't go sub-tiers because you'll be overwhelmed very quickly. On raw materials management and thinking about that through the value chain, for a less mature organization, I would say uh, identify a couple of projects where you can demonstrate circular economy principles to the senior leadership team and the benefits that come from the circular economy. We often hear concerns about cannibalization of market share. Um, These concerns, um, if the circular economy is applied well, are often unfounded. So start with some pilot projects on the circular economy. And lastly, on digital technology for the less mature organization, make sure that all projects that the CIO is looking at give some consideration to sustainability. So if there is, say, an ERP project going on, is there the opportunity to build in sustainability data collection into that project without significant additional expense? For the more mature organizations, I would say, Double down on your mitigation strategies on reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, but also start to focus on adaptation. Use scenario planning to identify future climate change risks and opportunities, including transitional risks as the economy starts to decarbonize. And then look for trigger points to know when you're in one scenario or another and include this in core decision-making processes from M&A to key supply selection. On natural resource management, I would say continue to focus on your circular economy activities. This is appropriate. And then also think about where you can go with commitments around biodiversity loss and understanding your impacts on natural capital. And measuring impacts on natural capital and biodiversity is one of the more uh, difficult things to do. And we've got some research in the space. Lastly, on digital, prioritize your projects that you are asking the CIO to execute on your behalf and make sure that this prioritization is done on an impacts basis. So what will the project deliver in terms of getting us closer to our ESG goals? Sarah, thank you so much for joining us ahead of Earth Day today. It's absolutely perfect how you frame this up. Really do appreciate it. And I'll tell you, I've learned a lot, as always, when speaking to you about anything ESG related. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for having me. To our audience, a huge thank you for joining us for another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about this research, Gartner clients are welcome to engage Sarah or our many colleagues who can talk about the ESG challenges facing supply chains today via our inquiry service, while I'd also strongly recommend reading Sarah's full report. To do so, you can use the link to the report in the show notes or simply go to Garten.com and search for CSCO response to environmental sustainability trends for supply chain in 2022. Finally, if you've enjoyed our show, please be sure to go to Garten.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened to our podcast and give us a five-star rating as well as subscribe to make sure you're notified once our next podcast is released. My name's Thomas O'Connor and thank you again for joining us. 
Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations. 